On this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast, we are speaking with 4th in-district councilman Eric Bunch. Bunch recently took office August 1st, 2019, and said he is eager to begin moving the 4th district forward. He discusses the assets and opportunities of the historic Northeast community, key focus areas, and what his top priorities are during his time in office. We are here today with Eric Bunch. He is the 4th District Councilman for Kansas City. So we're going to talk a little bit about what you're doing, kind of introduce yourself, give us a brief bio, background. It's only been a month. You started August 1st, but I want to talk a little bit about your priorities and kind of vision that you have for Kansas City. So let's start with a little bit of background and bio. Yeah, so my name is Eric Bunch. I actually live in Midtown, but I represent the 4th District as the in-district city council person. And so for a little bit of context, all six city council districts have two council representatives. One is elected by just the people who live within that district, and then the other is elected citywide. So I'm the in-district, so I was just elected by the people who, who live right here in the 4th. And the 4th district is an interesting, has an interesting shape. It includes some of the most dense parts of the city, which I think is really exciting. It's one of the reasons why my family and I chose to live in the 4th. Like I said, I, I live in, in Midtown. But the district includes a lot of the nor- historic Northeast, minus Pendleton Heights. So it includes Scarrett Renaissance and Indian Mountain and actually goes south of Independence Avenue for just a bit to include Sheffield. So that's sort of the, the boundaries with, and also actually the East Bottoms too are within the 4th District. So a lot of what would be considered the historic Northeast, which is you know, one of my favorite parts of the city, but also includes downtown. So basically the river all the way to 59th Street, roughly state line to Troost as you go south out of downtown. And so the plaza, Westport, downtown, the West Bottoms, and then I go a little bit north of the river too, so I have a bit of Clay County, uh, just a, a few neighborhoods up there. Crestview and, and Briarcliff are kind of the, the main ones that people know of. So a really interesting district. It's the by far the most diverse district, both by neighborhoods, culturally, racially, socioeconomically, and that's, again, one of the reasons why I love this district so much is because there's just so much going on, and there's so much vibrancy and culture here. I really loved the idea of being able to serve in this district on, on city council. And so, you know, my background is I, I ran for office here this this year, brand new, first ever elected position. But I started off as a really as a nonprofit professional. I co-founded an organization called Bike Walk KC. I served as the policy director there for a few years. And so my passion, my expertise is really is in that transportation policy arena. And so I, I'm really excited to be able to bring that that voice to the city. And it's not just, my expertise isn't just in bicycling or pedestrian walkability, but it's about transportation policy in general. So I'm really excited to get a chance to bring that to, to city council. I am a parent, a partner. I have a wife of almost nine years now. Our anniversary is coming up here in September, but we have three young kids. One is six years old, uh, Liam, he's in first grade. And then we've got twin daughters who are two and a half, almost three years old. So our hands are pretty full at the house. We live in a hundred year old house, 115 year old house with our family. And then we've got a, we've got a dog, Mally too. That's a little bit about me, I guess. And a little bit about the district and just that I'm super excited to what the future of Kansas City holds. Absolutely. So I know that you just 
took office a month ago. Yeah. So you're kind of transitioning. So tell us a little bit about what that transition mm. has looked like and what this past month has looked like. Yeah, it's been a lot of, and I say this this phrase like a hundred times a day. It's like drinking from a fire hose, which is a bit daunting and intimidating, and it's hard sometimes. But it's lots of meetings, kind of getting our bearings, getting our feet under us, getting our sea legs, so to speak. But I'm fully intend to keep that fire hose open for a while because it's important that I learn all the things that are going on, not just inside City Hall, but what are the community partners doing? What are the stakeholders out in the community doing? And what are the people who live right here in this district? What's their vision for Kansas City? And I, I want to make sure that, that we're doing all we can to learn all about that. And so it's right now, it's a lot of meetings. <laughs> I am eager to get proactive and really start to tackle some of the things that I, that I ran on. And so um, for a while anyway, we're still going to just be plugging along and figuring the system out, figuring out how our office operates. And I've got a really fantastic staffer, Chrissy Dastrup, who's really taken on a lot of, of work to corral me and organize me. And so I think we're getting there and we're really doing a good job. And Chrissy's doing a fantastic job of keeping me in line and, good, and getting the awesome. office all situated. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. But like I said, there were, you know, I had a few priorities that I ran on. So I, I don't want to lose sight of that. And, and I think sometimes there's a danger of that on city council because you get elected and as you're campaigning, you have stars in your eyes and all these great things that you're going to accomplish. And then you get elected and it's just like it's being onboarded to a new job is, is exactly what it is. So you got to go through HR and fill out the paperwork. And then you start the job and the job is really about like managing the calendar and answering the phones and sending emails. I want to make sure that I and my colleagues don't lose sight of some of the things that I feel there's a bit of a mandate on us to do the things that we promise. And so I, I wanted to make sure that we continue the progress of Kansas City, but making sure that it remains affordable, becomes even more affordable for especially the folks who are most vulnerable. And I want to make sure that we are improving public transportation. But beyond that, let's look at transportation and infrastructure holistically and strategically. And, and so that's something else that I want to continue to keep my eyes on. Public education was an important thing to me. My son's going to public school and, and we want to make sure that one of the most important quality of life issues is education and make sure that the city is a good partner with the school districts. There are many school districts in Kansas City, but also charters and other education providers and educational institutions. And so I want to make sure And the historic Northeast is chock full of really fantastic historic neighborhood schools. Uh, so I want to make sure I'm a good partner in that. And that's something that's going to be very important for me uh, in working in the Northeast. Sort of the underlying theme that I wanted to keep my campaign focused on and but really embedded in my time on in office is equity and inclusion. I want to make sure that we not only bring diverse voices to the table, but that I'm a person who's willing to go out in the community and meet people where they are. Because I think that we often expect people to just show up and then we wonder why we get the same responses in the same 12 people. I think it's because that's not conducive to rich conversations that, that you really get out of going to meet people in the community where they are. And so that's something that, that I'm really eager to get working on. And, and taking the lead on. So thinking specifically about the historic Northeast area, which your district, you kind of have parts of the, well, the majority of the historic Northeast. Right. Um, but tell me kind of what you see sure. for historic Northeast area. I think that there's some opportunities and there's some, there's some challenges too. There's some threats, I think, as well. I think that, you know, starting with the threats, which I don't want to, you know, always jump off on the scary things. But as I was coming up here, I was reminded of just how 
and I, I never lose sight of this, but how incredibly diverse the Northeast is. It's by far the most diverse neighborhood, save maybe Strawberry Hill in Kansas City, Kansas, in the entire region. It's, it is by far the most diverse. It's also an area that I think is primed for reinvestment and redevelopment. And I think that that's exciting, but that also presents a threat to the diversity and the cultural richness that really makes the Northeast an amazing place. And so how do we balance that? And so I want to make sure that I'm listening to the communities to what they want to make sure that we're creating an environment that does encourage that sort of reinvestment in the community, but in a way that's that's culturally sensitive, um, that we don't lose that that rich history and that rich heritage and, and the really what, what makes us such a great place. But I think that some of the strengths are, it's the only area in the Kansas City public school district that has truly neighborhood elementary schools with James and Garfield and Gladstone and Whittier, all schools where those kids live within a few blocks, for the most part, within a few blocks of their school. And that's, I think that we often miss how important that is to have those neighborhood schools as our community anchors. Uh, they really make neighborhoods the great places they ought to be. And you know, I, as I said, I live in, in near Westport in Midtown. There's a few charter schools that have opened. There's some public schools nearby, or some, some school district schools nearby. And uh, there's a middle school in the neighborhood for the first time in a very, very long time. Academy Lafayette opened a middle school. And Having kids walking to school through the neighborhood and home in the afternoon has been such an incredible feeling to see these kids horsing around, walking down the sidewalk, goofing off. That is what makes neighborhoods great, I think, is having that amazing anchor that the school. And so the Northeast has so much of that already. And seeing a arrival and dismissal around, and I've done that a lot. I've, I've been up here to observe, pick up and drop off and arrival and dismissal of the elementary school because safe routes to school planning is something that I did at Bike Walk KC to provide plans on how to make it safer for kids to walk and, and ride their bikes to school. And it's a really awesome feeling to see hundreds of kids just sort of getting to school and bringing new life to the neighborhood every morning and every afternoon. So I want us to build on that. I want us to continue to build on that very important asset that's in the community. And it's, and it's not limited to that. The Northeast has so much going for it. Uh, We just toured the Kansas City Museum. What a fantastic asset that's going to be when that gets opened. Cliff Drive and Kessler Park is just something that is a hidden gem, and it shouldn't be hidden. I mean, it's something that we need to really take full advantage of and really embrace as something that's so important to our community. I rambled on a little bit about all the things I really love about the Northeast. Um, That's just to say that I I love it up here and I want to make sure that I'm a good partner with the folks in the Northeast and and make sure that we do all we can to continue to make sure it thrives. I think we're going to talk about public transportation in a a minute, but I think there's a really great opportunity with the Northeast. It's one of the most transit-dependent populations in the entire region, might be the most transit-dependent population, without really good transit options. The 24 doesn't run very frequently, at least not as frequently as it needs to. Is it the 10 that runs down St. John is another one, or the Uh, 11? It's the 11, 11. yeah. Uh, I've ridden both of them. I'm a regular public transit user myself. I depend on it every day. I'm excited that the ATA is considering, is studying right now, uh, a plan to bring the MAX, uh, a MAX line to Independence Avenue. Having a high 
frequency transit line serving the Northeast, I think would be an incredible asset. Connect more people to more jobs between their houses and encourage more visitors to come up here as well and to visit the Northeast. That's a big opportunity that I see going forward is taking that and really building on improved public transit up here. I I have a little five-year-old and I love taking her on the 11 to the Uh streetcar stop. Oh, that's awesome. Taking the streetcar, go get some ice cream. She's like, she thinks it's the greatest thing. That's so great. She just loves it. So talking about public transportation, one thing that we have been talking about is the possibility for free public Mm -hmm. transportation in Kansas City. Um, So kind of tell us what that looks like at City Hall, what people are talking about, if that's a possibility in Kansas City's future, um, and how that would impact residents of Kansas City. I came out in support of fare-free transit in my campaign because I believe that's something that we should be working towards. And the real aha moment I had was when I was called to do a TV interview about parking garages in downtown. And the city auditor had just released a report talking about how we are maybe not doing the best job with managing our parking garages. And and the primary finding was that we are spending a significant amount of general fund money so that the only really unencumbered fund in the city, in the city's budget, spending about $17 million a year Uh, paying down the debt service of parking garages, many of which the city doesn't even own. So $17 million is a significant amount of money. It's not a significant amount of money in the overall budget, $1.7 billion budget or something, but it is significant. And when you compare it to something like public transportation, dawned on me that the KCATA, Ride KC, collects about $9 million a year from the fare box. So when you go and you put your $1.50 in, that generates about $9 million a year. So we're paying $17 million for parking garages, many of which are for luxury apartment buildings. (laughs) So I call them luxury parking garages. Paying $17 million, meanwhile, we're charging people $1.50 to ride from Topping and St. John to, to get to make a transfer to the streetcar, maybe make a couple more transfers. $1.50 is, may not seem like a lot of money, but at the end of the day, it's a lot of money that adds up. If you get a monthly pass, it's about 50 bucks a month, and that adds up over the year for a family. And I thought, well, it's not about the money. Like, it's not about how much money we have as a city. It's not the lack of money that's, that's keeping that fare there. It's about priorities. And we've decided as a matter of policy that we think that parking garages, paying down debt service on luxury parking garages is is more important than our people, in some cases our most vulnerable citizens. And I think that that's a shame. And so when I did that TV interview and I that dawned on me while I was doing it, I just I thought, well, this is silly. Let's change our priorities and let's find that $9 million. Let's turn over some couch cushions and find that money and replace the fare boxes. And there are other benefits to it. If you make transit fare free, you build ridership, more people are willing to ride. And it's also, there are lots of people who choose not to ride transit just simply because they're afraid of like the anxiety they get when they walk up and they put the dollar and it's, you're going to get more people riding just because just in the same way that they ride the streetcar that you just walk on, you know, just, and you yeah, have to, you're like, I don't even know what to do when I get yeah, on. Like, how do I do it? Like, and, <laughs> yeah. And so there's this friction when you walk up the steps or, and get to that fair box but you can make boarding more efficient i've been on the bus while someone's paying in nickels you know and it takes forever and then they pop the nickel out it didn't accept it and they have to keep putting it in and you can also board from all doors there's all door boarding is something that's happening in other cities here it's easy you just don't make the fare you just take the fare box away and then i think that you know there's an equity and access thing as well just that 
if we can reduce that budget item for folks, that should be part of an affordable housing strategy, to be completely honest, is uh, making sure that transit and transportation and, and access mobility is really something that, that we value here and we invest in and we make it easier for people to get to those necessities. And so I think I believe that fare free transit is something that we need to be working towards. Absolutely. Well, hopefully we'll have more updates yeah. in the future about that because I think a lot of Kansas Cityans are kind of really maybe hoping to see that happen. And I know that especially in the historic Northeast, like you said, it would definitely benefit a lot yeah. of people yeah. who would like to see that max line or something mm-hmm. updated up and down St. John yeah. on the 11. Yeah. So, yes, we can kind of, kind of get some more updates on that. Do you have you are the vice chair of the Transportation Infrastructure and Operations Committee? Do you have any updates that you want to give us about what's going on in yeah. that committee? Yeah, there it's interesting there are because we've taken on operations as well. We've seen some things that I didn't as a transportation professional. It's been interesting to see different like water projects. We've seen some projects coming through as part of the Smart Sewer, which I love the name Smart Sewer. It's about the overflow control program, which is really affecting a lot of communities. One thing that when I canvass in the neighborhoods up here, one of the things that people talked about was they're rising, raising water rates. Mm-hmm. And so we've we've seen a few projects come through the TINO committee about that. Basically, the EPA has told us as a city, and they've told lots of cities this, because this is the way we, we basically have a combined stormwater sewer system. And when it rains really heavily, it overflows that system and it bypasses the sewer treatment facility. And they, we dump sewage straight into Blue River or the Missouri River or Brush Creek. And so the EPA is like, you know, we should probably not do that anymore. It's kind of a, an environmental disaster to keep flushing bad stuff into the rivers. To pay for that, we have a lot of federal money. We've bonded a lot of things, but uh, we also have to pay for a lot of it out of local money. And that's part of the reason why our water rates have been going up. A question that I've been asking as these projects come in, when they're replacing, a, you know, making the pipe bigger, more or less, uh, underground to make sure that that overflow doesn't happen as often, the question that I've been asking is how can we incorporate what's called green infrastructure into these projects so that we're not just thinking about we're not just making the pipes bigger underground but we're actually you know holding the water back into neighborhoods and and using it as a placemaking activity like where we're planting native plants and putting new trees in and making parks around these green infrastructure stormwater management projects. Uh, We've seen a lot of that down in Marlboro neighborhood. Uh, We're going to see one up at the Paseo Gateway when that project gets underway right next to KCUMB. I believe, uh, I've been told this from people who are way smarter than I am, that incorporating green infrastructure into this rather than just making the pipes bigger is a way that we can save costs so that we don't have to pass that cost on to the ratepayers, to the people who are paying higher rates for water. And I think that the more not only do we lower the rates for people, hopefully, we improve quality of life for everyone. We can build trails and, and parks on top of these, make you know, scenic places for people to be and incorporate public art and uh, sidewalks and bike paths and, and things of that nature. So that's something that has been coming through, and I'm going to continue to push on that and ask for that. And so that that's something that's pretty exciting. You never really think about sewers as a way to improve our quality of life, but I think that there's some really op- good opportunities there. Another thing that we just recently recently talked about and we recently decided out of our committee and passed on through the full council was we uh, we transitioned animal control out of the neighborhoods and services department and outsourced it to a mission driven nonprofit called Casey Pet Project who's running has already been running our animal shelter I felt that that was the right decision I voted yes for it because it's time to find those experts in the community who are driven by a passion 
to take on some of the work that the city, because the city can't do it all alone. And we're going to give that to the KC Pet Project, who then can turn it into jobs training. They can turn that program into a way to educate the public on animal safety and welfare. You know, I'm not a big fan of outsourcing generally, but in this case, I felt that it was the right decision because it was going to a nonprofit. We weren't giving it out to some for-profit, out-of-town company. We're hiring mission-based, passionate nonprofit organization to do it. And so uh, that that should be moving forward in the next few months to actually execute that contract. Uh, again, something that I didn't expect as a transportation expert, transportation policy wonk, uh, to talk about animal control. But I, again, I think it was the right decision. And also, none of those animal control officers who are in City Hall right now are going to lose their job. They can stay in City Hall, union job, maintain rank, maintain salary, maintain their pension. And that was another, that was a necessary condition for my support of it. And that's and that's what we got. And that's what um, we're going to continue to make sure that promise is upheld by city manager. Well, I definitely want to respect your time. I know you have another meeting to get to. Is there anything else that you want to add that you think is important for historic Northeast residents to know or that we didn't talk about today? Yeah, what I would just say is don't hesitate to reach out to my office uh, if there is something that troubling the neighborhood that that you're just not able to get like a lot of the things that we get in our inboxes are people who are tried to go through 311 for something uh in their neighborhood and just have hit a wall please reach out don't hesitate to reach out to our office and we'll do our best to connect to the right people and solve the problem but then if there are any opportunities for for me to come out and speak with neighborhood organizations please please reach out and I would love to, to come and chat. And you can reach me at eric.bunch at kcmo.org. And that'll get to me, and we'll uh, we'll go from there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for yeah. being here today. Thank you so much. It. This is great. Yeah, thank you. And that was 4th in-district councilman Eric Bunch. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast. I'm Elizabeth Orozco. Oh,